reminded again and again of how powerful he is and how he provides. We are studying this morning about Deborah. She's the judge. Deborah in the Hebrew language means the honeybee. All right. She's a honeybee. And Janie, you're going to love it when I say this again. She was sweet as honey and she stung like a bee. All right. <laughs> yeah, you can go in. You can laugh. All right. And God raised up this woman to deliver Israel, showing again his mercy and his grace as they fell into sin after Ehud, which meant I shall praise and brings up this woman, Deborah. We're going to study and hear about her. We don't know much about her. We know she was a mother. All right. We know she was a wife. That's all we know about her. And God was more interested in her will than he was her skill. And that is a lesson for us this morning. God is more interested in your will being submitted to him than the skills that you bring to the table. Because whatever God calls you to do, he will then equip you to do it. That is a great lesson that we learn. I'm not denigrating Deborah at all. But isn't it amazing that God raised this woman that the Bible tells us she was a wife and a mother. That's how she's described. And it says, and she became like a mother to Israel. Hallelujah. So why is the book of Judges in the Bible? Pastor Larry sent that to me. Sorry to expose you or out you. Where are you, Pastor? Right there. He said, let's talk about this. That's an important question. Why is Judges in the Bible? One thing it gives us is a continuum of the people of God where we see the plan of God. It's about a 400-year period that happens right after the Exodus. We study the book of Joshua. Joshua died and then This time of judges arose, and I've told you they were like these highland chieftains that we had in Scotland and Ireland who were warriors, who were, yes, were judges. And we're going to read the text that that she became a judge for her people, and she would sit under a tree that they called the tree of Deborah. She had her own tree named after her, Deborah's tree. People would go to her with their disputes. They would go to her with their problems, and God would give her wisdom. She was uh, wisdom and understanding and how to rule and to assist her God's people. Judges shows us also how God can take failure and work hope, mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love in the middle of it all. And as one of our our members has reminded me and taught me, God takes our messes, all right, and he makes great messages out of them. And I put a corollary on that and said, not only does he take our messes, he can turn them into masterpieces. When I get out of the way and let God do his thing, it's amazing to me that he creates a masterpiece. When I was called to be pastor of you guys here at Union Grove, I decided that this time I was going to let God do it his way. And I can tell you to this point, I've been faithful in doing that. And if I get out of the way, if I get in the way, Pastor Larry, you come to me and you tell me you're in the way. I I don't want to hear about a five-year plan. That's an inside joke. He came to me when he first, what is y'all's three-year, five-year, ten-year plan? As I said, it's to do God's will today. That's our five-year plan. In the five-year, I'm not saying we shouldn't. Don't worry, Karen. She's looking at me. How about metrics? They're important, Ken. They are. But my job is to follow God's will today for this church. And he has sent capable administrators to my side who may not have come with all of the skills maybe that that, I mean, they came with skills that God prepared them in business and in doing things and in running departments at Exxon and Shell and all this kind of thing. 
You know, today we had a guy out organizing where all the cars went today. And for the last 35 years, he's done that for Toyota. Figured out where all the, all the parts are supposed to go. So don't you see, if he can handle all the parts for Toyota, he can handle a few simple cars in a parking lot. And I have seen over and over, John, that God brings people here who he gives them the skills to do what he wants them to do. And all they need to do is submit their wills. And that's what Deborah did. That's the end of the sermon. That's... Anyway, we then go and we look at Judges 4. If you'll join me in opening your Bible to Judges 4, 1 through 5. And let's read it. And I'll read it and you guys listen on. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. We've heard this over and over again. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harosheth, Hagoyim. Boy, that sounds good when I say that. And the children of Israel cried. That's what happens when you have good phonics training. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years, he harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, so we first hear she's a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, that's, we now know she's his wife, was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Lord, I pray that you would take this word Lord, apply it to our hearts. May it jump off these pages and be real to us and help change us, Lord, to be all that you would have us be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, as I said, this honeybee sat under a palm tree, and there she judged Israel. She arose. She had made herself available to God. God then began to, uh, to give her the skills she needed not only to run her household. I imagine she ran her household very well first. She probably had her kids doing all the right things and her husband obeying her. <laughs> I'm just teasing. She, she knew how to run her household as a godly woman. And so God took her and he elevated her to run a nation. This shows that God uses any of us, man or woman, to do what needs to be done in his kingdom. And uh, we know she was a prophetess. And I looked it up, and there are 10 prophetesses that are mentioned in the Bible. That's 10 that we know of. Remember Anna, the prophetess, and other ones. There was a Hulda, Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron. She was a prophetess. We have Miriam's song that she sang. And as I said before, the text just tells us she was the wife of Lapidoth. And that's pretty much all that we knew about her. And she gave God her will. And with that, God gave her the skill to run Israel. Now, she's going to tell uh, her right-hand guy, her general Barak, to attack the plain of Armageddon from Mount Tabor. Don't you love Google? I found this on Google, and there we are on top of Mount Tabor, looking down into the Jezreel Valley where Jabin had his troops and his chariots. This is very important. He had all the advantages that man can have. Iron chariots. How many did it say he had? 900. That's a lot. Chariots in that day were like tanks are today. The Israelites had no horses. They didn't use horses. They didn't have chariots. They had one thing, though, that Jabin didn't have. The Spirit of, the God, of God was on them. And the Spirit of God was with them. And God told them and created the battle plan, we'll see, for them to conquer 
these people because he was ready to deliver his people. Let's go on to 6. 6 through 8. Then she sent and called for Barak, and his name means lightning, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go? So so she's saying, God is commanding you, Barak, to go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. So get up there on the mountain. Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera. So God is going to deploy Sisera, who's one of the main uh, people in this story, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Is that through nine, oh, 10? Uh, so she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. That's interesting. So she prophesies here that Sisera, his life will be taken by the hand of a woman, and it's not even her own hand, okay? So Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. So what do we see in this text? We see that this guy Barak refused to go into battle unless Deborah accompanied him. Well, when I read this a week ago, I thought, well, he's just kind of a chicken, he's wanting to hide under her skirts and on Wednesday morning I was reading the text again and I kind of felt like that wasn't the idea at all and Diane who's not here this morning Diane our sweet little Diane Gray said maybe it was that Barack just saw the Lord so much on Deborah that he thought I don't even want to go into battle unless I'm with Deborah because wherever Deborah's going to go the Lord's going to be there also so let's think well of him instead of thinking he was just a chicken. And he just saw Deborah to be this leader that God had brought up and that could lead. And we see, again, that Deborah prophesies as to what's going to happen. And Barak knew that God wanted him to launch the attack, but he hesitated. Now, I want to talk about this for a second. When God wants you to do something, he wants you to do something. Okay. When God wants you to do something, he doesn't want someone else to do it for you. When we read Isaiah in his calling, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then look what Isaiah said. Then said I, here am I, send me. God calls us to do things. I think we have a tendency to say, Here am I, Lord, send somebody else. Sorry, that's a joke, guys. You know, here am I, Lord. Send Peggy. Send someone else. When the Lord lays something on your heart, people have sometimes come to me in this congregation and said to me things like, hey, you know, this PowerPoint could be fixed. I say, great, can you do that? I can. You let them do it, okay? Empowering. God wants to bring all of us together doing things. You guys came and said, would it be okay uh, if we had a nursery here, we see kids that need someone taking care of, of them. We feel burdened and led to do that. Boy, am I going to stand in God's way? Absolutely not. And God brought us Sam and brought us Heather just at the moment, I think, when you were desperate for Sam and Heather to show up, you know. And God heard the cry of this little couple's heart. 
because I had always had an idealistic thought that, well, we'll just have all of our babies in here with us and they'll see their parents worshiping. And I kind of have learned and opened my heart along the way that sometimes that's not an I, a good idea. The baby runs up, grabs hold of my leg, and goes over my head and jumps in the baptistry. We've got a problem. And God knew that order was needed. Chaos is not what God's all about. And God sent Sam and Heather just at the moment that they were needed. And, you know, at the moment that Larry told us, I'm talking about Larry Waddell, hey, guys, I'm leaving. Well, when? Next week. You've got to be kidding. And, and, and I decided I'm not going to panic, Lord. I'm going to lay this before you. And so to this point, God's brought us great leadership with Scott and Diane Armstrong. I mean, isn't, it, isn't God wonderful? And I'm not saying this to bring praise and glory to them, but praise and glory to God that he hears the cries of our hearts. And he sends us just what we need, maybe not what we want. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Janie, for saying that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being there. Here am I. Send me. I think of the example of Esther. Do you all know the story of Esther? We talked about her. Thank you, son. I, I know you know the story of Esther. There Esther was, and she married who? Favored king who? Ahasuerus. Yeah, Ahasuerus. You just got to pretend you're sneezing. Ahasuerus. Bless you. And she marries this king, the king of Persia. She's in this incredible position of power, okay? And he gets this idea because his, his smart guys come to him, his very smart guys, his, F, his VSGs is what uh, I call them. Uh, they come and they say, you know, you need to kill all of the Jews in the kingdom. He says, yeah, it's a pretty good idea, not realizing his wife's one of them. And the uncle of Esther finds out about this, and she comes and she say, he says, there is a decree in the land. Your people are going to be wiped out. And she's kind of sitting there going, well, what am I supposed to do about this? And look what Mordecai says to her. He tells her to not be silent, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. God's going to show up, and it's not going to be from you, Esther, and you're not going to have the blessing that God has reserved for you. All right? He says, but you and your father's house will perish. You be quiet, and you're going to die right along with everybody else. Yet who knows? This is Mordecai speaking. Gives me chills to read this. Whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Guys, God brought you here to this little place in the grove for such a time as this. You are in a spiritual place. God has brought you to a place with a purpose, all right, and a position. And he has something for each of us to do. Right now, we are learning so much from Doug Taylor. We're learning about what happens when you're looking death in the face, all right? Whether you're going to choose to panic and run or to say, God, I'm going to trust you to whatever end you have for me. Amen? That's, we're each turning and teaching each other very important lessons. Listen to what God is speaking through each one of us. It's an amazing thing to be in the family of God and see it work the way that it's supposed to be. It's so, so exciting. I think it's important that we remember, as I say, that we're here for such a time as this. Our early prayer partner, meaning ours, was Scott and me and, and Michael Havens. We had a prayer group for years that now Randy's part of, and uh, Michael Qualey comes, and others here. Wayne's part of that group now. 
And he used to say to us, he would encourage us. Y'all know Russell. Everybody here knows him that has seen his art everywhere. He would say, you know what? If you just can get into what God wants you to do, he said, it's a magic carpet ride. And I always imagine Aladdin just flying around on this magic carpet. He said, serving the Lord is a magic carpet ride. Just get on the carpet and ride. Stop trying to do it yourself, but rely on him. Let's go on now to verse 11. Now, Heber, the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses. So these are some of Moses' relations. That's what we're taught. Had separated himself from the Kenites, and he pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zaah Naim, which is beside Kadesh. So this Kenite, as we call them, that were family members of Moses, had gotten out there, and they're, they're up in the Galilee area, and they're camped out there, and they're going to kind of be this conduit for information between the nation of Israel and Jabin and Sisera. That's what's happening here. He was camped out there by this oak tree, and he, he passed on vital information about plans in the battle movements to Deborah and Barak. Now look at 12. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, so Sisera, remember, is the general of, of King Jabin, that the son of, that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all of his chariots, 900 of iron, and all the people who were with him from Haroshoth, Hagoyim, which happens to mean woodlands of the nations, to the river Kishon. So, the text tells us, let's go on now to Judges 4, 14 through 16. We're going to do this whole chapter this morning. And as I told you all before, Judges is rated R, so get ready. This is crazy, all right? Then Deborah said to Barak, this is where you sting like a bee, Janie. Deborah said to Barak, up, for this day is the day in which your Lord the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. So Deborah got this message from the Lord. Go now because Sisera is going to be delivered in your hand, Barak. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor. So he came down off, off of that, that peak that I showed you guys down into that valley. All right. Can you go down from the top of a mountain in a chariot? No, you cannot. You don't have to know anything about horses to realize you can't do that, all right? But the chariots were down in the plains, okay? And this is a real important lesson. They were down there fighting with all of these chariots, and the Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and all of his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot. That means he jumped off, okay? From his chariot, and he fled away on foot. Why in the world would Sisera jump off of his chariot? Why would you get off of a chariot that can go real, real fast when people chasing you are just on foot? Anybody in here ever ridden a horse in the mud? Have you? If you ride a horse in the mud, you don't go anywhere, do you, Mike? It's pretty doggone slow, and you're slipping and sliding. And I went and I looked and I found out that Josephus had written all about this, Wayne. He wrote it and in book 5, chapter 5, he explains that a great storm happened. On the day of this battle, God showed up. And God dumped so much rain in there, these chariots were worthless. God neutralized what the enemy had and what Israel had was the Spirit of God with them. God plus you is a majority. Don't ever forget that. 
You may feel like you're in a horrible battle, but when God is with you, you're a majority, okay? So in Judges chapter 5, which is the next in the song of Deborah, look what we read. They fought from the heavens, okay? Who fought from the heavens? Who fights from the heavens? The Lord fights from the heavens. Look at this. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera, and the torrent of the Kishon swept them away, that ancient torrent, the torrent of Kisha. So obviously there was some sort of great storm that came and made the 900 chariots irrelevant. And God can show up and make all that the world can throw at us irrelevant. Because when he's in it, he puts you as a majority. I just think this is so interesting. Now, this is kind of where it gets rated R. This is a picture of what's to come. If you don't understand what you're looking at, this is a sweet little lady named Yael. <laughs> okay. And this is Sisera on the ground. And she's going to drive a tent spay. She, 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 talk about a headache. He's fixing to have a headache, all right? So let's go to this and look and read what happens. So Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. So he ends up going to this woman's tent, which really is a weird thing because you didn't do that in Middle Eastern customs unless you really had bad intentions, all right? To the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber of Kenite, and there was peace between Jabin king of Hazor in the house of Heber. So he went and he thought he was in safe quarters. And Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Don't be afraid. When she had turned aside with her, he turned aside with her into the tent. She covered him up with a blanket. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. Now listen, Barbara, this is interesting because this involves you. So she opened a jug of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. I say that because it was probably kefir. You know, warm milk that stayed in that tent and a bag over time. She gives him this bag of kefir that probably has a little bit of alcohol in it or a little bit of fermentation. And it just is enough to give him a warm toddy and put him to sleep. Okay. And he said to her, stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you, and says, is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Yael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg, took a hammer, cover your ears, guys, in her hand, and she saw, went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, so Barak's out running around looking for Sisera, Yael came out to him and said, come, I'll show you the man who you're looking for. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Here, here is, uh, that's Barak showing up. She goes, here, I'm going to show you the guy you're looking for. I love these old, these old pictures. So, why did Israel gain the victory? Well, we've already talked about it. Flavius, in chapter 5 of his book, says that this Calvary and all these people that grossly outmatched Israel were no match for the God who is. And all the advantages that the world could throw at them, and it wasn't enough to go against Jehovah God. It's a great, great lesson for us. 
As I said, the Israelites did not use horses, but Israel had what they did not have, and that was the Spirit of the Lord. And it reminds me of something that Isaiah says to us. He says that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me. His righteousness is the righteousness we take on. When we accept the Lord, the righteousness of Jesus, his death on the cross, his blood that was shed for each of us, attributes that righteousness to each one of us, okay? And he tells us that we as his people, that there's no weapon of the enemy formed against us that can prosper against us. This is real, real serious stuff that's promises of God. You may be in a spiritual battle for your life, and the, the key to this today is to submit your will to him. Don't submit all your skill, skills, because he'll give you the skills. Submit your will to him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Why? Because he's pulling the weight. Cassandra is not here today, our horse lady, but our other horse lady's here today. Gita. And Gita, you know how it is when you're, and, and I met Gita driving horses together. When you're driving a pair, there's always one that pulls a little bit harder, isn't there? And what do you have to do to the other one the whole time? Tap, 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 tap. And that is how it is, Rita, when we are in harness with the Lord, he does the heavy pulling. That's why he says, my yoke is heavy, but the burden is light. A yoke's heavy on you, okay? It's heavy, all that stuff you have on but the burden is light because he does the pulling. We just have to submit our will to him and say, Lord, I'm going to trust that you can get me out of this pickle that I'm in. Or, Lord, that you're going to help me deal with this pickle that I'm in. This problem that I'm in, Lord, give me the eyes and give me the heart, your heart and eyes, so I can see what it is that you're trying to teach me. But no weapon formed against us prospers because of the equipment that we are given in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in high places. We're not fighting a political system that's against us. There are spiritual powers behind all of the nonsense and chaos and craziness that we see in the world. But no weapon formed against us will prosper. That is a promise of God. You take it to the bank. That doesn't mean that your country will be preserved. All right? That's not what that means. But no weapon formed against me will prosper because I have the king of kings on my side. And so do you. Coming to the end of self. This is Michael's, Pastor Michael's thing. What happens when we come to the end of ourselves? What happens when my PowerPoint fails today? What happens when uh, you forget this? What happens when the strings break? What happens when the cancer seems to be overwhelming me? Paul says to that Corinthian church, my grace is sufficient for you. That's God speaking to each of us. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. When I get to the end of myself, that's when God loves to show up. All right. He shows up because I'm at the end of myself and he can show me what he's doing in my life. I can see it better when I give up. Amen. You can give a glory to that. So the message today for everyone is serve the Lord with delight like Deborah. Realize his strength will be made perfect in your weakness. Don't beat up on yourself because of your weaknesses. Say, Lord, give me the skills that I need to do the calling that you've given me. 
And I want to urge this congregation to realize that you were brought here to this place by a God that directs your steps for such a time as this. For such a time as this. It can be simple, Aaron, like raising kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We, I'm saying to Aaron because he was saying, you know, Pastor, I just feel like my calling it's just to get these two kids that are in my household to be a godly husband and a godly father like I never saw in my own home. And I say, give a big amen to that. Because you were brought for such a time as this. And have this wife who is your helpmate for such a time as this. It can be simple or it can be like, you know, you think raising kids is simple. That's probably the hardest work that my wife and I have ever done. Amen. Nothing simple about that. Or be a task that you feel incapable of doing. And so many times we say, I can't be the mother that I need to be. I can't be the wife that I'm supposed to be. I can't be the husband that I'm supposed to be good. Then get out of the way and let God. And realize you were brought for such a time as this. Man, I'm glad I lost my notes today. (laughs) Deborah was an unlikely leader. God called her and she answered Living in the world driven, I I saw this quote this week and I loved it. Living in a world driven by material success and accomplishment, it's easy to forget that it isn't so much about our skills God wants, but it is our wills. And Devin, that's the big idea for such a time as this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you that you brought each of us into this room for such a time as this. And Lord, what a blessing that we get to see fruit, Lord, happening. Lord, thank you for the problems, of the parking problems we have. Thank you, Lord, that we needed a nursery. When I used to say, guys, let's just pray together that someday we'll hear babies cry in this place. And Lord, you fulfilled that in our lifetime when Aaron and Stephanie were led to drive down this driveway. Lord, thank you for sending Larry Lingle to serve beside me Lord, for such a time as this, when he was needed, thank you for Karen coming and Sue and Ken and all and and the Brinkleys and the Brentons, Lord, people who we know one another's hearts now. And you brought us together for such a time as this. And Lord, I just thank you for Scott. I thank you for all that serve here. Both Scots, Lord, Scott, Scott squared, Scott Brown and Scott Armstrong. Thank you for Diana's heart for kids in our heart for evangelism. Lord, use us now. Lord, we submit our wills to you. Give us the skills to do the task that you would have each of us do in such a time as this. In Jesus' name, amen. Exactly.